It's time to roll up those joints, pack those bowls, and fire up those nails. Because you're listening to Blazin' with Bobby Black on Cannabis Radio. What's up, guys? This is Bobby Black welcoming you to another edition of Blazin'. Thanks so much for listening. Um, we've got a really fun show for you coming up today, uh, a really fun guest. Uh, he's a game designer and author of a coffee table book about Amsterdam coffee shops. His name is Andrew Looney, and we'll be discussing uh, his time uh, at NASA. He used to work at NASA, as well as the card game that he designed called Stoner Flux and our mutual love affair with the city of Amsterdam. But before we get to all that fun stuff, we're going to do a brief recap of some of the week's top pot news stories in a segment we call The Burndown. Burning through the smoke and mirrors of the news headlines, this is The Burndown. All right, we've got a lot of news coming out of the Northeast this week on The Burndown, beginning in Pennsylvania, where uh, the governor, Tom Wolf sent a sharply worded letter to the U.S. Attorney General Jeff Sessions this week, warning him to stay out of Pennsylvania when it comes to criminalizing medical marijuana. Wolf signed a bill last year that would allow doctors to begin recommending cannabis-infused oils to patients with ailments such as autism, cancer, multiple sclerosis, PTSD, and other conditions. But Sessions, a well-known anti-cannabis crusader, has threatened to prosecute anyone who uses marijuana, even if it's legal under state law. In the letter, Wolf tells Sessions, quote, We do not need the federal government getting in the way of Pennsylvania's right to deliver them relief through our new medical marijuana program. If you seek to further disrupt our ability to establish a legal way to deliver relief of medical marijuana to our citizens, I will ask the Attorney General of Pennsylvania to take legal action to protect our residents and state sovereignty, end quote. You get them, uh, Governor Wolf. Yeah. Uh, Pennsylvania is set to begin awarding licenses to grow medical marijuana, uh, but some worry that the feds may step in to prosecute those who grow, prescribe, and use medical cannabis. As a matter of fact, a complete list of around 400 companies that have applied to grow and process medical marijuana in Pennsylvania was just released on Friday by the State Department of Health. If all goes as planned, the state will award 12 of the coveted growing permits by the end of June. An announcement of the winners could come as soon as next week. Two of those permits are slated for southeastern Pennsylvania, uh, the state's most populous and potentially lucrative region, where 51 aspirants are vying to set up cooperations inside warehouses that will be sealed tight. The majority of the applications are cloaked in mystery, however. The state issued only a list of company names and withheld the locations of the proposed sites. Uh, the businesses have not had to register with the state. The Department of Health has promised to release details later, but only about the winners. And now it's over to Massachusetts, where a rewrite of the voter-approved cannabis law was abruptly yanked late Wednesday, just hours before it was scheduled to be debated by the House, State House of Reps. The bill's not being well-received by voters and cannabis advocates, as it marks an extreme break with, with what was voted for. Last November's Question 4 ballot initiative to legalize recreational use, which passed with nearly 54% of the vote, specifically set the tax rate at 12%, which was made up of 3.75% state tax, 2% local option tax, and the state's existing 6.25 retail sales tax. Under the new bill, expected to be put to a vote on Thursday, the total tax would be raised to 28%, comprised of a 6.25 sales tax, 16.75 state tax, and a mandatory 5% local tax that would go to city and town coffers. The proposed legislation would also consolidate the oversight of Massachusetts medical and recreational cannabis programs into one agency, impose stricter restrictions on edibles and cannabis advertising, as well as giving municipal officials the power to ban cannabis shops and farms, rather than leaving that decision in the hands of local voters. 
It does not, however, change the rules regarding home grows or the amount of legal cannabis a person may possess. According to Representative Mark Cusack, a proponent of the bill, it respects the will of the voters while looking after the public safety and health of the state. The bill will likely get passed in some version on Thursday before moving on to the Senate. If the Senate passes its own version of the legislation, the differences would be hashed out in a joint House-Senate conference committee before sending the final product to Governor Charlie Baker by the end of the month. And now we head over to New Jersey, the Garden State. <laughs> a report released uh, by the New Jersey State Chapter of the ACLU last week found that cannabis arrests in the state of New Jersey have steadily increased since 2000, with a disproportionate focus on the black community. Surprise, surprise. Uh, in 2013 alone, New Jersey law enforcement officers made over 24,000 pot possession arrests, a 26% increase from 2000. In the same year, racial disparity in cannabis possession arrests also reached an all-time high as black New Jerseyans were three times more likely to be arrested for cannabis possession than whites, despite similar usage rates. Nearly nine out of ten marijuana arrests are of consumers, not dealers or drug kingpins, with possession arrests making up a whopping 88% of the state's total cannabis arrests. Uh, instead of putting away drug dealers, Jersey cops are arresting residents who possess low amounts of cannabis, and they're doing it at an alarming rate. Based on the data in the report, it's estimated that New Jersey police make an arrest for cannabis possession every 22 minutes. The arrests can ruin a person's life, facing jail time, a criminal record, the possibility of losing your job or driver's license, around $1,200 in fines and fees, not to mention any possible consequences uh, regarding immigration status, financial aid eligibility, etc., in total, the state spends more than $143 million per year enforcing its possession laws, which adds up to more than a billion dollars over the past decade. Of course, all of this falls at the feet of Governor Chris Christie, who is a longtime foe of marijuana and who, during his presidential campaign, vowed to fully enforce federal marijuana laws. He's also done everything in his power to stymie the rollout of the state's medical marijuana program that was passed just before he entered office. Thankfully, he didn't get nearly enough votes to be a serious contender in the presidential election, and hopefully he won't get enough votes to win any more elections ever again. Uh, now we move to Cali, where last Thursday, the California legislature overwhelmingly passed Senate Bill 94, which effectively repeals the Medical Cannabis Regulation and Safety Act, known as MACURSA, and integrates some of its provisions along with provisions of the Control, Regulate, and Tax Adult Use of Marijuana Act, also known as ALMA, or Proposition 64, creating one overarching regulatory framework with the unfortunate new acronym MAUCURSA. <laughs> And one new overarching governing agency called the Bureau of Cannabis Control, which will oversee all cannabis businesses in the state once Governor Brown signs the bill into law, which he is expected to do since those changes were made under a recommendation from his administration in April. The main provisions of the bill are as follows. Uh, different types of licenses will be permitted for adult use uh, cannabis uh, businesses. Um uh, producing uh, dispensary and transport licenses will not be available. Distributors will be required to store cannabis batches on the premises. Uh, testing will be done off-premises. Uh, some limits uh, previously placed on the combination of medical cannabis licenses a person can hold will no longer apply. The residency requirements of ALMA have been repealed. So out-of-staters and residents of other countries and states can freely participate, which is good news. Um, additional advertising requirements, including regulation of online advertising and a universal symbol for cannabis edibles, will be implemented. Uh, there will be a cannabis excise tax based on the average market price rather than the gross receipts of retail sales. Uh, and uh, the Bureau will no longer have the authority to regulate and control industrial hemp. All right, and over to another interesting story in the burndown this week. Uh, contrary to popular stoner stereotypes, a new study conducted by market researchers BDS Analytics now shows that cannabis consumers are, in fact, among the most satisfied and successful people in our populace. I could have told you that. <laughs> the research group analyzed extensive data from the two leading legal cannabis states, California and Colorado, surveying customers and abstainers across a wide variety of mental, social, and financial factors, including life satisfaction levels, attitudes towards parenting, and unemployment data. 
In California, it was found that 20% of consumers had graduated with a master's degree, while the figure was only 12% for those who didn't consider trying cannabis. In terms of household income, the figure was 93,000 for consumers, significantly higher than the 70,000 for for the abstainers. Similar results were found in Colorado with 64% of cannabis consumers in full-time jobs compared to 54% uh, who did not consume the drug. The findings that consumers are more likely to be parents also refutes the familiar stereotypes of cannabis users being irresponsible. Uh, In terms of life satisfaction, nearly 5 in 10 Colorado consumers agreed they are more satisfied with life today than they were a year ago. Uh, Healthier habits and social activities are also correlated. Um, In Colorado, 36% of consumers describe themselves as very social people, while only 28% of marijuana avoiders said the same. Consumers in Colorado and California both also said they enjoyed outdoor recreation at significantly higher rates. Uh, So this really helps debunk the myth of the laziness, lack of motivation uh, that stoners are often attributed with and being called losers and all that nonsense. Uh, uh, And then finally this week on The Burndown, uh, Roger Stone, Republican strategist and longtime ally of President Donald Trump, is apparently starting a new pro-marijuana lobbying group. I guess I I don't know if I should be surprised or not. Uh, This lobbying group will include former Minnesota governor and pro wrestler Jesse Ventura. I'm a big fan of Jesse. Uh, Stone announced the bipartisan coalition this past Friday at the Cannabis World Congress and Business Expo in New York. The group uh, called the United States Cannabis Coalition aims to hold Trump to his campaign pledge to respect states that have legalization laws for medical and recreational marijuana and work to get marijuana rescheduled, which would eliminate roadblocks to scientific research and allow doctors to prescribe cannabis nationwide. Quote, I'm going to be working with a coalition of Republicans and Democrats, progressives and libertarians, liberals and conservatives to persuade the president to keep his campaign pledge and to remind him that he took a strong and forthright position on this on this issue in the election, Stone said on Friday. In all honesty, it's time for Trump to tell attorney Jeff Jeff Sessions to cut the shit. (laughs) Well, Roger Stone, I didn't think there'd be much in the world that I would agree with you on, but uh, you have my full support. That's pretty awesome. I wish more uh, more people could come together and bring together people across party lines to make some real progress happen. All right, and that's going to wrap it up for the Burndown this week. Uh, we're going to take a quick break, but stick around because when we come back, we will be speaking with my guest, Andrew Looney, uh, game designer and author of the book, uh, Amsterdam Coffee Shops, right here on Blaze. You're listening to Blazin' with Bobby Black on Cannabis Radio. This is Bobby Black, host of Blazin, here to talk to you about 420 Science. I've known Matt and Gary from 420 Science for over a decade. We've spent a lot of time together at the Cannabis Cups in Amsterdam, the Doobie Awards in their hometown of Austin. They were even at my wedding. And I've always admired their integrity and how they've built 420 Science from the ground up to become the most trusted online head shop. Visit 420science.com slash podcast for an exclusive deal on pipes and more from genuine people who put their customers first. That's 420science.com slash podcast. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Are you disturbed by the prescription medication commercials on television and their endless list of side effects? They go on and on and you end up having to take multiple pills to counteract the problems caused by the first pill. It never ends. Have you looked into CBD as a more natural option? At Saturn Ranch, we produce all-natural CBD topicals and THC-infused edibles. Premium lab-tested hemp-derived CBD is the most important ingredient in our products. From topical bombs, salt scrubs, bath-soaking salts to tinctures and edibles, you're sure to find something to help. Family-owned and operated, we at Saturn Ranch believe in and use our products daily. Don't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. SaturnRanch.com All right, guys, and welcome back to Blazin. Uh, my guest this week is quite an interesting character. He is the founder and CCO of Looney Labs, a game-making company who uh, are the makers of the popular card game Flux. Uh, 
uh, a series of a series of card games, um, and he's also the author of a new coffee table book about Amsterdam entitled Amsterdam Coffee Shops. Please join me in welcoming to the show, Mr. Andrew Looney. Andrew, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me on the show, Bobby. Uh, it's my pleasure. You know, uh, I've been wanting to have you on for a while, uh, ever since uh, it was my wife, April, who t- turned me on to your new book. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's just such a, as soon as I saw it, uh, first of all, thank you for sending us a copy of the advance. It was really, uh, really, we had a lot of fun looking through it. Cool. Yeah, well, I'm happy to have uh, been able to get your uh, advanced input into it. It's only we only made a couple of of prototype copies of that current draft, and I've updated it a little bit since the uh, the version you've seen. But it's pretty much what it's going to be that we send out. Sure, sure. Yeah, I did see that there was still a few uh, little little holes in there that were waiting to be plugged with some graphics and stuff. But overall, mm-hmm. uh, a really really nice job. So, um, let's, we'll talk. We could talk about the book in a little while. I want to start off by talking a little about you and your and your history because you you're like I said, you're a very interesting character. Uh, uh, I learned that you're uh, originally you started off. You used to be uh, work for NASA. Is that that's correct? That's right. And that's where you met your wife. Your wife. Yep. Yep. NASA looms very large in my history. Actually, my dad worked for NASA for his whole career. So NASA uh, put every meal on the table for us, basically, for many years. I When I, I followed in his footsteps, got out of college, and I went to work for the space program. And, and I did a lot of things, including I wrote some software that flew on the Hubble Space Telescope during its uh, during the repair missions for that. But And it's also where I met my wife. And I really liked working for the space program in a lot of ways, but it's not as cool as owning my own company and publishing my my own card games and and all that. So I did turn my back on the space program, but it uh, was a pretty cool thing to be doing. Yeah, and you also spent some time as a video game programmer as well, right? Yep. Yeah, I worked on a... No one knows this platform anymore, hardly, because it was it was it died in the marketplace. But there was a set top box called the 3DO that came out in the mid '90s, just before the PlayStation came along and crushed everybody else. <laughs> and so I was hired to work on uh, that was the first job I took out of NASA in the entertainment industry was programming for programming video games for this new platform, and I ended up creating one. And that company produced it, and it became uh, one of the best games for the 3DO, uh, frankly speaking. And I'm not the only one who says that, but uh, the, there weren't that many games that came out for the 3DO, and not and most of them were kind of terrible. So it was it was kind of remembered as one of the best games that came out for that system. But alas, uh, you know, the system died, and uh, with it, all of all of those games. But it was yeah. a pretty cool way for me to break into making games because doing that was what made me really realize that I, I, I can make games. And I, I like to I want to make games. It's what I want to do. It, it was something that never occurred to me growing up because I, I, didn't really, I didn't really think of that as a thing you could do. Games just kind of came out of you know big companies like Milton Bradley. They would never put the name, except Milton Bradley, on the box. So nowadays we have much more of a better understanding of, of game designs, uh, game designers as authors and a lot of the uh, the German board game revolution is, has helped us understand the, the faces behind the games and, and a lot more people are, are going into game design than, than ever were before. But I imagined myself becoming a writer uh, and again, I'm finally doing that now, writing books and so forth. But for a long time, uh, it became this, this back burner thing that I was pursuing games instead and that itself started as as a uh, as a response to my writing efforts because the very first game i really did that took off was inspired by a fictional game i described in a in a short story i was writing wow so it all it all ties together it does <laughs> so you you met your you met your wife we mentioned Kristen, um at nasa and then the both of you kind of co-founded looney labs your game company correct tell yep. us a little about how that came about well, he, uh, you know, we we have been married for 27 years, so we're a great team, and we perfectly complement each other in a couple of ways. Because I'm a creative dynamo, writing, creating games, doing all these these creative things, and I, but I don't want to have to, you know, figure out how to sell them or market them or all that stuff. I just want to <laughs> create. Meanwhile, my wife is an entrepreneur. She wants to make a company and 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 create products and 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 all that you know all the marketing and stuff she loves that 
So together, you know, I, I create things for her to market and she creates a company to, 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 to market and sell things that I've created. So we have a wonderful companion partnership there that's working out really well. And it was just she and I when we first started, but at this point there's eight people in our company and we're getting ready to hire a ninth and we're doing really quite well. Yeah, and I would imagine that uh, as someone, I, I've been a bit of a gamer myself in the past. Uh, I, I was a big Dungeons and Dragons fan uh, mm-hmm. as, a, as a child, and then I got into Magic the Gathering, which like mm-hmm. Flux is a card game, a lot more complex of a card game <laughs> than Flux. Um, and I know that uh, having a, a background in mathematics is always, uh, if maybe if not a prerequisite, then at least a huge advantage in game creation, correct? Oh, yeah. Well, my degree is actually computer science, and I very much consider that to have been a useful discipline for designing games. In fact, I often make this comparison that what I do now is program humans. I, I write software for, <laughs> for humans to execute. And, and Flux is, is almost perfectly like that. It's got these rules that you follow, much like software follow, you know, like computers follow the program in a software construct the humans in a game of flux have to follow the directions of the of the rules of the game and the only the big difference is that when i'm programming a computer the computer will flawlessly execute exactly the code that i have told it to do now maybe i didn't tell it to do the right thing but it will do exactly what i said humans when they ingest the the software that i've written for them the rules of a game they have an annoying tendency to skip over parts of the code that are important the, they, they might just not read all the all, read all of these instructions, and if they uh, if they don't, they might re- miss important pieces of code that you really have to have in order to play the game right. So, really, one of the trickiest things for me to do as a game designer, even if the game works properly, I have to make sure that the humans who are going to play that game understand from the rules what they're supposed to do, and that that can be quite a ch- tricky writing challenge. Right. And especially if they're ingesting more than the rules and the software, you know, if they're ingesting cannabis products, let's say, for example, it might make it a little harder for them to follow all the rules. Although I must say um, for someone and I get, you know, we we don't really know each other, but for someone who worked at NASA and who has created a number of games and and done the things you've done, I imagine you're 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 an incredibly intelligent man. So for someone who. Uh, and your wife as well, of course. Uh, so for two very intelligent people to create a game that really is so simple and and so basic that pretty much anyone could follow. Um, and and even and also I'll, we'll talk about your book uh, a little later. But the same with your book, it's really written uh, like your games to appeal to as wide of an audience as possible. And I'm assuming you did that uh, intentionally. Oh, very much so. Yeah, I, I want everyone to play my games or, or experience my works. Yeah, I mean, you yeah. could obviously design a much more complicated game, something along the lines of Magic the Gathering, let's say. I'm sure that that is within your wheelhouse to do, but um, you choose to create something that is very accessible. Well, yeah, and indeed, I've designed quite a few games, and many of them are a good deal more complicated than Flux. And, and that's really the trick, actually, is creating a game that has a very simple rule set, but that offers deep and interesting gameplay. That's almost the holy grail for game designers because what we all want to create a game that that will be something that people can get into quickly as, as and start playing as fast as possible. Nobody wants to sit around listening to how you play the game for hours. You want to play the game. But, but sometimes when there's a lot to go through, you just have to listen through the, that rule briefing. And very much when... Uh, well, and Flux, Flux, my biggest hit, um, is a game that almost teaches itself. It, it introduces, you know, the cards. You don't really need to know certain things until a card comes up that, that makes you need to learn that. And so it lets you jump into a game with almost no knowledge and, and, and learn new concepts as they come up naturally in the game. And that was very much a, a goal of mine, was to have a game that you could you could learn very quickly in that way. Because I feel like the longer... I'm sitting there explaining how the game works before we actually start playing. The more there is a chance that your your eyes are glazing over and you're going to be like, ah, you know, now that we've heard how it works, let's do something else. And, uh, you know, and, and that's a fail, obviously. So, Wait, so- trying to have having a game that is simple, but at the same time, not not pointless, that offers, you know, difficult choices that, that makes you really think, that's quite a challenge and one that I think I've gotten pretty good at. 
So tell us a little about uh, Flux, about how you got the initial inspiration and how it how it came together. And tell us a little about what what it's about and how it works. Sure. Well, Flux is a, gar- a card game about change that changes as you play it. So uh, with every possible card play, you might be changing the rules or changing the way you win or changing what assets you have in order to pursue that goal. But uh, it's very simple because it starts out with with just two rules, draw one and play one. And that's on your turn. You draw a card and play a card and, and all the cards say what to do. You do whatever the card says. And you'll you'll have these cards called keepers that are just things that you want to have in front of you. And you win by just having the right couple of keepers that are specified by the goal. But the goal will change from one card to the next. Uh, you, one minute you might be going after milk and cookies and the next after time and money in uh, a couple of the original ones. Or uh, to to put it into the uh, to go ahead and talk about stoner flux, the the marijuana themed version of yes. flux. Let's do. Uh, let's it, talk about that one. <laughs> in, in that in that version, all the uh, all the keepers are things that a stoner would want. So you've got weed. In fact, several different weed keepers. You you've got a bong or a pipe to to smoke out of and fire to light it with. Or maybe papers if you would roll a joint. But you also have stuff you want with you when you're when you're partying. You got your friends. You got good music. You got some pizza or or nachos or ice cream to deal with when you got the munchies and then there's a couple of negative things too there's some creepers they're like the anti-keepers they're things that prevent you from winning and so one of them is the mooch who always shows up unwanted and hangs around whoever has the weed you know (laughs) and uh the munchies but it's easy to get rid of the munchies just by by grabbing on to somebody's food and eating that and i could get rid of but the hardest the worst one of course is the dry spell the empty baggie Yeah, but uh, we've all been as long there. As, yep, yep. <laughs> but as long as somebody also has ta- has weed on the table, the dry spell goes away. Because you know, if your friend has something, you'll be able to get something from them. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I got to say, uh, in preparation for this interview a few days ago, my wife and I uh, busted out our Stoner Flux game, and we never uh, played it. I'd, I've had it for a while, and to be honest, I just you know, I have a whole cabinet full of board games that barely ever get used. Unfortunately, in this day and age with our busy lives and multimedia screens, it seems like we don't really get to, uh, we don't make the effort to enjoy the the simpler things. Uh, But I really wanted to, of course, understand the game and play it before I spoke with you. And, uh, you know, we did uh, what I think most people would do. We, you know, did a couple of dabs and <laughs> and uh, <laughs> sat down and or you know packed a bowl or whatever and and mm-hmm. and just like you said, just opened it up and started trying to play, learning to play. And I got to say, it was really fun. You know, it uh, especially you know for someone who for a group of people or a person who's high, it's it's just a it's just a kick. You know, you can hit, sit around with a bunch of people and 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 smoke and play and it and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. You can have a lot of fun with it and. I also looked on your on your website where you had some videos where you and Kristen were demonstrating how the game was played because I wanted to have a little bit of an idea. And I watched you guys play a game of Batman Flux. <laughs> and uh, I really got a kick out of that, too, because I was a huge I'm a huge comic book fan. And, and huh? uh, you know, back in the day, I watched Batman, the animated series and sure. seeing all of that. And it was just great. Like, I, I'm amazed by the amount of the variety of different flux editions that you put out T- tell us how many you have and like give us an example some of the most popular ones well we've got i think it's close to 20 different versions at this point and we've got yeah everything from adventure time to zombies or batman to zombies if you don't know what adventure time is but um yeah every, every including a couple of educational ones just just come out we've got a math flux and a chemistry flux one of the most popular has been monty python flux oh, because cool. People still get a kick out of that one. And the thing about Flux is because the rules are constantly changing, it 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 feels like a kind of crazy, chaotic game that just really fits with the Monty Python kind of mentality. So it it, it it's, that version is done real well. But we've got lots of others. We've got a Cthulhu version and a pirate version and uh, a Firefly version. That, uh, that show just won't die, even though it got canceled yeah. after one season. But the fans <laughs> love it. So that was our most biggest seller last year was Firefly Flux. And, wow. uh, yes, the stoner version, which was actually the first themed version. Um, Where was it? Wow. Yeah, it was. Yeah, Stoner Flux was the very first alternate theme from uh, the original. And uh, so, you know, but but finally, and that was early 2000, 2002, I think the first version of that came out might, might have been 03. 
But now, just because uh, other other substances will have their day, we are finally bringing out drinking flux this <laughs> summer. But uh, to show you where my loyalties lie, that one's taken a long time to get around to it. Yeah, you might have to at some point in in the future. Uh, I, I might do a, a an updated or revised stoner flux to add in like all the dab stuff that's popular now. Yeah, dabbing—that's a whole deal. I, I maybe some sort of a booster expansion that yeah. new cards you can add in with the dab rig and the concentrates. Yeah, that would be cool. That would yeah. be very cool. Yeah. Well, well so and, and one of the things that's great about the game is that it's endlessly expandable. You can always add new cards. You can mix versions together. We make blank cards so you can add your own ideas into the game. And we've even made a few promo cards. In fact, I have there's a, there's a few uh, for Stoner Flux out there that we were given out at uh, one of the Cannabis Cups a couple of years ago that are like hash and a couple of goals that use hash, hash standing in for weed. But I haven't done a dab thing. That seems like it might be overdue at this point. Yeah, it, that's where the the market and the community has been heading for a yep, few years yep. now. So uh, yeah, I, I could see you doing that at some point. That would be that would be popular. I have a I have a, a silly question for you. So some of the cards that uh, one of the things I liked about the game too also is that you also include uh, some cards that are not part of gameplay, but they're just there. Um, message cards. Yeah, message cards, and it's uh, MPP and normal. Please support mm-hmm. normal and. Uh, well, we just, actually give a we give a small percentage of our profits back to all those groups uh, every quarter or whatever it is that uh, we share the royalties with with groups trying to change the laws because that's very important to us, obviously. Yeah, and I think that's great. And then you have one that uh, talks about uh, marijuana is good medicine, talking about health. And then you say that the game is dedicated to John Lennon, Carl Sagan, Bill Hicks, George Carlin, and Peter McWilliams, and all the other pot smokers. Uh, who won't be with us to see the beginning of Marijuana Freedom. And I thought that was really cool. Um, uh, those are some definitely uh, some of my idols right there, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and there, I could go on. There's other names that should be on there, but, uh, you know, you got to draw the line someplace. But, yeah, there's some some important names in my heroes to me, so a chance to call some of them out. Sure. And this card in here, okay, so there's a little card that has, like, a little sunny with the clouds, and it says... One side it says whose turn is it, on the other side it says it's my turn. And my wife and I were trying to figure out if this was supposed to be like a card that you play with and it gives you a free turn, or was it just in there as like a fun little promo thing? Well, well, I guess I didn't explain it well enough in the rules, but the idea there is that it is a marker to show whose turn it is. I mean, quite literally, it just and the back is sort of just nothing on the back, just to say turn it over and look at the front where it says. It's my turn. And we actually also make nice, fancy metal coins that are turn tokens as well that have sort of the same logo and say it's my turn. But the point is, when you're playing a game, you might get confused about whose turn it is. And having, especially if perhaps you've been imbibing being certain substances that uh, might rattle your, your memory for a moment. You, well, whose turn was it exactly? <laughs> so if you have, have a card there to kind of move around the table to have it sit in front of the person whose turn it is, that lets them know they're the active player. And it's also a nice little way of saying, okay, I'm done with my turn. I've finished all my things. You want to mark, pass the marker along to the next turn. I, I find those to be useful in any game, and especially if you're playing more than one game at a time, which I'm uh, prone to do. But for the, <laughs> for the, uh, the Stoner, Flux, it, Stoner Flux and upcoming Drinking Flux are the only two that we actually put that card right into the game, and it just made sense. But one of the other things that's good about uh, about that is that all the rules are always you can just look at the table and see what all the rules currently are. In a game of flux, the active rules are all going to be showing right there on the table. So again, if if you have a, a lapse of memory and you forget what's going on, you can just look right down there on the table and and all the rules are spelled out at the moment for what they are. Yeah, um, and then so tell us uh, you've designed other games as well besides flux, though, right? Can, do you want to tell us about any of the other games you worked on or? Sure, sure. Well, my 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 pride and joy really is a game, more of a game system than just a game. It's a box set called Pyramid Arcade, which includes twenty two complete, completely different games that use that that are all that have these uh, gaming pyramids as their common element. So they all use these beautiful, colorful gaming pyramids that we've been playing games with for twenty twenty five years now, and just this and everything you need to play all of these games. And different boards or cards or dice, different accoutrements needed for the for the various different games. Basically, imagine if you'd never seen a deck of playing cards, and then buying a box set that was you know a couple of decks of cards and a copy of Hoyle and some poker chips and a cribbage board and everything you meet, might need to play every 
playing card game ever invented. That's what Pyramid Arcade is. And it is, uh, like I said, that's my biggest biggest accomplishment, but I've got a lot of other games as well. Um, a, a, um, um, a, a simple fun card game called Lunacy that's pretty cool, where you, it's uh, just a, a pattern matching game where you're just kind of trying to get rid of all your cards first, but um, without taking turns. And so that's pretty exciting. And we've actually got a stoner version of that coming out too, called Stoner oh, Lunacy. Cool. Just came cool. out, and uh, cool. it uses the art from Stoner Flux. So that, with the beautiful tie-dyed background, really love that one. So there's that. Cool. Well, are you going to have to send me one of those uh, editions too when it comes out to check uh, out? Yeah. I'd love to uh, see have that. To make sure you send you one of those. Then uh, lastly, we've got a. Um, lastly, we've got a, well, not lastly, but one of my other hits is a, a, a time travel card game called Chrononauts where you can go back in time and change historical events. And that's got a fun little hook for stoners, because if you if you go back and prevent John Lennon from getting assassinated and turn the tables so that Ronald Reagan was assassinated when the shooting attempt on him uh, did not succeed in our universe. But imagine if you were in a universe where he'd gotten killed. Right. Well, in that universe, he never starts up his war on drugs and pot gets legalized in 1986. Wow. <laughs> oh, that sounds like fun. Um, yeah. The, so the that time it, travel. it creates all these time travel paradoxes and alternate realities. So that one's a pretty cool game, too. So that's Chrononauts. There's a few of the games. I've got a dessert game and a lot of other games, but uh, those are kind of my biggest hits. Cool, cool. Well, uh, I look forward to checking out some of the other games. Um, we're going to take a quick break right now uh, for a word from our sponsors, but we'll be right back to talk about your book and about your adventures in Amsterdam. So, right. uh, so everybody stay tuned we'll be right back with more blazing you're listening to blazing with bobby black on cannabis radio i'd like to say a few words about our sponsors and my friends at 420 science i've known matt and gary from 420 science for over a decade we've spent a lot of time together at the cannabis cups in amsterdam the doobie awards in their hometown of austin they were even at my wedding and i've always admired their integrity and how they've built 420 science from the ground up to become the most trusted online head shop visit 420science.com podcast for an exclusive deal on pipes and more from genuine people who put their customers first that's 420science.com podcast the smoke is rising, and the next crop of podcasts devoted to cannabis providers and enthusiasts are ready to be harvested. Welcome to the Cannabis Radio Network, founded by respected rainmakers who have been producing award-winning podcasts for over a decade. Industry headlines, business updates, medical reports, marketing, and e-commerce education rolled up perfectly for your consumption. Let's grow together. The Cannabis Radio Network. Ignite the conversation on some trending topics along the Cannabis Radio social media network. Join our crew of thousands on our Cannabis Radio page on Facebook or at Canna Radio, C-A-N-N-A Radio on Twitter. Plus, look for our Facebook and Google Plus pages for all of our original programs and connect with Dr. Dina, Kyle Cushman, Dr. Mitch Earlywine, Nurse Heather, Doc Rob, the host of Gondrepreneur, and more. Connect with the growing Cannabis Radio social crusade at Canna Radio on Twitter or search for Cannabis Radio on Facebook, Google Plus, and Instagram and grow with us. All right, and we are back here on Blazin. Uh, my guest this week is uh, the founder and CEO, uh, co-founder and CEO, CCO, sorry, CCO, of, Lo yeah. of Looney Labs, uh, uh, makers of the uh, Flux card game series as well as other games, and uh, also the author of the new coffee table book, Amsterdam Coffee Shops, Mr. Andrew Looney. Welcome back, Andrew. It's great to be here. So uh, in the first half of the show, we talked about your games and your history and your past and, and your wife, Kristen. And now I'd like to get into the good stuff here with this great Amsterdam book uh, that you put together. Now, uh, like I said, like your card games, the book is really very uh, – it's laid out and written very simply for – uh, it's almost like a great little primer for anybody who hasn't been to Amsterdam, who is interested in it. Uh, you know, just uh, lots of photos, lots of great little snippets of information and little personal anecdotes. Um, it's 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 really just a nice, fun little book. Tell tell me a little about 
what what inspired you to put this book together? Yeah, well, I love Amsterdam. I've been there many times over the years. I first went uh, 20 years ago, 1997. And every time I've gone, I've, I've returned feeling like, man, I wish I could convey to all my friends back home what it's like to visit this enchanting city. And in particular, to the stoners, who I'd want to say, you know, look at these coffee shops. Don't you want to come here and 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 experience this and if even if you can't here's here's a glimpse of what it's like because i remember before i'd ever been hearing that oh yeah there's these places in amsterdam where it's legal and and well and of course it was a very different world 20 years ago than it sure. is now um that, that was really quite scandalous and amazing back in, in the mid 90s <laughs> yeah. so and in fact, you know, my first trip there was I just I had to go see for myself this this amazing place where where pot was legal or at least not. Of course, we know it's not really legal. It's decriminalized. It's not even that. It's tolerated. It's officially the uh, the way they describe the laws right. there. But so and and I I feel like there's a lot of people in America who are aware that there are cannabis cafes in Amsterdam, but they have no idea what they're really like. And when you go there and you discover that each has its own unique personality and some of them are really just beautiful layout inside with all sorts of fun art or stoner things that will just, just want to go there and check it out. And so I, I, but basically the idea is to try to capture the experience of going on a coffee shop crawl in Amsterdam in a book. Yeah, it's and and it and it does have that feel. Um, so, have you, in your many trips to Amsterdam, um, uh, I was I'm wondering if you've ever gone during uh, the High Times Cannabis Cup because I've been going to Amsterdam for over 20 years as well. My first time going was in 1994. Uh, I had just started working at High Times. Uh, I was fresh out of college. Uh, I, I was actually still in college. I was a senior in college, and uh, I had only been working at High Times for a few months. When they, uh, it was the very first cannabis cup that was open to the public. It was in '94, and uh, Steve Hager, the founder of the Cannabis Cup, said, "Hey, do you want to come to Amsterdam and work at this event with us?" <laughs> and as a 21-year-old kid who had never even been on a plane, let alone out of the country or or whatever, you know, Amsterdam was like, like you said, it was this like fabled place yeah. because back then. You know, there was no legal cannabis in the United States at all, anywhere, yeah. not medical, not anything. So the the closest I had come to anything like a head shop, I mean, what like a coffee shop was like a head shop just going into a store that sold paraphernalia or sold stuff. But to actually be able to buy it and consume it like legally was like, wow, holy cow, you know, Mind so blowing. yeah, it was. And I went and it did blow my mind. And, you know, I'm sure like you, my experience was amazing and I got to go back. I was lucky enough to have a job where I got to go back every year in November and, and go experience this and get to know the coffee shops and the owners of the coffee shops and, and, and all that uh, great stuff and, and, and get hash back. I mean, and back then hash was, yeah. you know, I mean, if I got, Unheard hash, of. it was very rare. And if I did get it, it was usually crappy, you know, in, mm -hmm. in New yeah. York, you weren't getting access. To, I mean, maybe I just didn't know the right people, but I wasn't getting access to good hash, but I'd go to Amsterdam and walk into a place like the bluebird. Uh, the bluebird had a menu, Love the bluebird. two binders, two loose leaf <laughs> binders full of different hashes from all parts of the world. And I was just, it's like Candyland. It's like it's unbelievable. You can't the young people nowadays. I don't think will ever truly understand that because they're growing up in a world where hash is all around. Like I mean, you have all these different types of hash. If you live in California or if you live in any state where it's legal, you yep. you, know, you can see it. Even if you can't buy it, you can see it. You know about it. But it's really a magical place. And uh, this book really takes me back. It makes me nostalgic for those times. Um, so talk to me about uh, your, your experiences over the years. Uh, you know, which uh, which coffee shops do, do, are your favorites, your go-to spots, and is there any, like, hidden gems that you'd like to talk about? Well, yeah, a lot lot of lot of in their question. Uh, but to back up, first of all, I wanted to mention, to address the first question you had sure. about the Cannabis Cup, because, indeed, my very first trip was to attend the Cannabis Cup. And that was... It was the 10th cup in 97, so just a couple of years after you. And that was part of the thing about it was that I was able to have that as this like cover story or like reason I'm going. Like, I'm going to go attend this event. And I really that, that I, I felt very sort of safe and and um, welcomed in that 
in that convention sense that, hey, it's a bunch of us. We're all doing this together. And we could kind of travel around and, and experience the things in this, this group dynamic. But then I started taking my own trips and learning my way around the city. And, and uh, in 2004, I spent a whole month there one, one, uh, one springtime. And that was a, a wonderful time. But I, kept, I, I still enjoy going back to the Cup a couple times. So I've been there several times for that, that competition. And you know, I'm, I'm not really that good a, of a judge of the, uh, the substances. But I, I enjoyed being able to say, well, this is my favorite shop. Or this, you know, this, these coffee shops had the best ambiance. And my favorite, I, you know, my all around, my standard all around answer is a Braxis. It's a wonderfully decorated shop with several levels, and it's it's right near the the center of town, uh, down this almost secret alleyway. So you you feel like you're right in the middle. I mean, literally, Dam Square is the official center of town with the Royal Palace there. It's it's all kinds of shopping and so forth. And you walk down this busy pedestrian street, and you hook a right down this tiny little alleyway into this magical place. And yeah, everything you could want to smoke is there, but it's just a, a wonderful and in, inviting space. You mentioned the Bluebird. That was actually the very first place I went ever. My very first coffee wow. shop on my very first trip in, as I say, that cannabis cup. And I uh, have very fond memories of that place. And yeah, it's interesting too. Each shop has its own little style. And a lot of usually there'll be sort of a, a counter up front where you buy actual coffee, since it is a coffee shop and you have to have to buy some sort of a hot beverage or something to hang around. But then the weed is sold usually like in a back kind of counter and you walk up to kind of the, a bud tender situation. But the Bluebird's a little different. They have, like you said, they have these notebooks. They'll put samples of everything into these clear plastic pockets of a big binder. And so you walk up to this one spot at the front and flip through the notebook and then say, okay, I want this one. And the guy on the disappear and come back with uh, with your your purchase yeah the bluebird became my one of my what whenever i would get to town each year i would try to hit the bluebird early on like day one so that i can stock up on a bunch of different types of hash to have with me for the rest of the trip to smoke so i would get a little bit of little temple ball little moroccan a little you know afghani a little little of everything little taste of everything to have with me uh, and then, and I would always stop by the old man shop, uh, the old, the big head shop there, um, on Domrock. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And, uh, and I would get I myself a little coffee shop called the old man. No, no, no. A head shop. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was the store where you buy pipes and all sure, that sure, sure. Yeah. Stuff. Cause you usually have to buy that separate from the, from the weed shop. Yeah. It's like a mega head shop. And I would go in there and I would get like a little glass pipe to smoke my hash with in because I like to just sip, sip on the hash, you know, just get a little pipe and just kind of sip on it. Because uh, it's so flavorful, you just want to savor it, you know. And that's another thing, um, you know. Nowadays, I, I'm a fan of dabs, and I and I dab, pr- you know, very regularly, and I enjoy it. But um, I do still love that old school hash. I love that old, that that musky kind of flavor, the old traditional way. It's just, it's a different experience, and it's something that I think a lot of, again, young people uh, who are in, in uh, you know, interested in cannabis now maybe miss out on. They don't get to sample that kind of hash. Yeah, and I have very much associate that with Amsterdam because, like you were saying, we just can't get that over here. So pretty much all that all my hash experience has been in the coffee shops. So whenever I do get it, it just takes takes me right back to those uh, to those shops. So I mean, I'm looking through the the book right now, and and uh, obviously there's some of the major shops, uh, you know, Barney's and the, and the Greenhouse, all those types of shops. The Bulldog is very very popular one. Um, uh, and then, you know, but you, you, the dolphins. Oh, wow. This one, uh, I've, the co- cool thing about the dolphins was, uh, for, uh, one of the regulations in Amsterdam was that, uh, coffee shops are only allowed to be open until certain hours. And one then, yeah. And, but they're allowed apparently to apply for, to extend their hours. They're allowed to have a certain number of uh, hours per year that they can like stay open when they're not supposed to. So what the dolphins oh. did was they would save up all their time and they would use it during the cannabis cup. So they were open like 24 hours practically for huh. a few days of the cannabis cup. <laughs> and so they would be our, the dolphins was our go-to after hours spot. So after we would be partying all night, we would hit the dolphins before we'd go back to the hotel and it's such an amazing – it's like being inside of an aquarium. It's so cool. And you really capture that with some of these photos, just all the cool fish and water-themed um, paintings and, and little knickknacks and things uh, that they have. It's pretty cool. 
Yeah, I love the Dolphins. It's definitely one of the more stylish shops and typical of the way many shops embrace a theme and, and go long on the uh, the decor in that regard. I didn't know that about the uh, the extra hours thing, though. It's interesting. They have so many weird laws over there. Yeah, because uh, yeah, usually it's like 1 a.m., boom, all the coffee shops have to close, which is really frustrating since the bars are able to stay open until 3, 4 in the morning. And, then, and we're all out on the street with no place to go. But uh, the idea that there is exceptions like that is interesting. One of the whole problems with the coffee shop scene, though, is that they have these weird rules about, you know, it's like it all it, it all stems to when things first changed in like the 70s and 80s when they were saying, OK, we're going to allow these coffee shops that have sprung up to, to keep doing their thing, but we're not going to allow any more. So they kind of drew this line and said, no coffee shops can be transferred or sold. And when it goes out of business, you can't you can't build a new one there or any of those things. So gradually over the years, the, the coffee shop, I mean, there used to be so many more, hundreds and hundreds of them. And they've been been gradually being forced to close. And so there's le- less than 200 coffee shops in Amsterdam now. Yeah, that's uh, the rules. The rules have continued to change. When I first started going, you were allowed to serve alcohol and sell cannabis right, right. together the in the shop, same place. Cafe. And we used and to go to like the Rokerai right off the Leitza plane, off Leitza Strat, and we would oh, go yeah, and we would one. drink. Be- we would drink Heinekens and we would smoke, you know, hash and weed and stuff. Yep. And then they changed that law and they said, well, if you're going to serve cannabis, you can't serve alcohol. We were right. bummed you about choose that. One or the other. Yeah. Yeah. And then so and then but like you said, and then in more recent years, uh, the right wing party in Amsterdam in Holland kind of took over the government. And then they started coming up with all these new rules to shut down uh, red light district uh, mm-hmm. blocks that should shut down coffee shops. They really wanted to like whittle them down and, and, and get rid of a lot of them. And it's a shame because yeah. some of the places that have closed have been uh, were really, really nice. And you, you have a little section in the book about that, too. Right. You have. Like, yeah. Little, oh, yeah. Yeah, Days I, gone I, past kind of exactly. section. Coffee shops of uh, ghosts of coffee shop past. I call that section right. where there's you, if you know what to look for, there's a place, a couple places you can see. Oh yeah, this used to be such and so, such and such a coffee shop, and this trippy mural on the side of the wall—that's from them. But they're closed now and uh, never come back. And and some of the famous ones, like there's a big one called the Grasshopper that you'd see coming right, right. in town, and then I can't believe it's not a, not a coffee shop anymore. But they lost their license, and. A a thing that that really uh, set a lot of them back was they had this new, much more restrictive rule about schools, that if it's ex-distance from school, it has to be shut. And so they shut a whole lot of coffee shops that way, which is really a shame or just like, uh, it doesn't seem right. I think it was a thousand meters, yeah, like a thousand meters or something of a school. Something like that. But you can have a thing where you've had a coffee shop that's been there for years or decades, and then somebody opens up a new school nearby and forces the coffee shop to close. And, yeah, and can't be re- cannot be relocated either because of that rule. Yeah, and there's similar rules like that being being established here in the legal states now too, where you can't have dispensaries within a certain you know distance of a school or other things, parks or whatever. And some at some point it just gets kind of silly to me. Like you said, like some of these shops there had been there for decades, and you know I don't see the the youth of Amsterdam being decimated by the existence of these shops. I mean, in a matter of fact, their usage among children and teens seem to be lower than exactly in, yes. in the there, states. You know, statistics show that uh, drug use is lower in Holland, where uh, permissive drug use is the norm. So uh, it goes just goes to show the importance of education and removing the forbidden fruit factor. Right, because kids want to rebel, and then if something's forbidden, they're going to want to do it more. If you normalize it, then yep. it just becomes, oh, okay, whatever. You know, They're not as excited about it, I guess. No. Um, you mentioned uh, some of the murals, uh, and you also cover that in the book. You talk about the different murals, street art. You have a lot of cool photos of sculptures and street art. And that's one of the great things about Amsterdam. Uh, it's a great walking city. I mean, it sure just, is. I mean, you could rent a bike too, which is cool, but I've always loved just getting lost and walking around the city. And just there's, like you said, there's so many little hidden alleys with cool stuff mm-hmm. in them that you can just kind of get lost and have a great time. And eventually you always find your way to where you need to be. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. And then, and there's a fun little coffee shop around every little corner or every alleyway. Or not quite, but uh, you know, often that's the case. You'll be strolling along, and hey, here's a little coffee shop. Let's duck in for a smoke. Yeah. So, so what's it? Tell me a little about your history with cannabis. When did you first get turned on to cannabis? I, I can see from from uh, l- looking at your photos of of you and your wife that you're kind of, and from my what I know of your past, that you're kind of a 
kind of a um, like a, a Grateful Dead, Deadhead, uh, hippie nerd kind of guy. And I mean that with absolute <laughs> affection and respect. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, sure, but, sure. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Um, well, I'm I'm uh, I definitely consider myself a hippie, although more of a Beatles fan than a Grateful Dead. But uh, you know, I'm very much born in the '60s and uh, uh, love the spirit of, of of the hippie mentality. But I actually was not didn't start uh, didn't try pot until I was like 30. I uh, I shunned it all through my youth. Um, partly I bought into the heavy propaganda of the day, and and partly it was my own level of of nonconformity because people would look at me and assume that I was a stoner and like, no, 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 I don't do that. Cause I was very much a kind of straight laced boy scout. I'm an, I'm an Eagle scout actually. And uh, uh-huh. so it took a long time for me to decide to, uh, to give it a try. And one of the things that really made me do that was my desire to um, tap into the creative enhancement element. Um, as I said, I, I grew up wanting to be a writer and, and and trying to discover my creative side on things. And at some point I had to realize that that marijuana has been a, a great, great creative boost for so many artists and musicians and uh, people who create that. And in fact, it's, it's like it's right there in the stereotype. You know, what have you been smoking is something <laughs> yeah. people will say when someone comes up with an outlandish idea. Right. So. Uh, and and so here I was. I, I'm trying to pursue a creative career, and I'm I'm turning a a blind eye to this to this imagination fuel, this this creativity juice that that it seems to be the uh, the case for people. So when I I finally decided to give it a try, Warren, I uh, I did find that it it really benefited my creative creative creativity and creative side quite a bit, and uh, never never looked back at that point. Cool. Well, I hope I have the opportunity to meet you in person and, and have a smoke with you one day. Hopefully, maybe one day even in an Amsterdam coffee shop. Who knows? Uh, <laughs> well, that would you know. be a delight. And that's the thing. You know, we still we, – we've come a long way in America now. We have all these dispensaries and places you can you can buy weed legally. But we still don't have anything like the Amsterdam coffee shop scene because as long as we don't have bars – where we can smoke pot as long as we only have liquor store equivalent and we don't have coffee shops where we can hang out and publicly consume together we still have to go to amsterdam to have that experience absolutely well there are some states that are trying to pass laws like that there's a little bit of resistance but i think we'll get there but uh, in the meantime it'd be great but in the mean when we do i would like to open my own such shop here in the states oh that would be great um, yeah, I mean, I have that's very much one of those other, you know, I, I went to Amsterdam and had a life changing experience. And one of those was the feeling like I want to bring this home, you know, in, in a book now, but someday to really be able to create uh, establishments like this that uh, I can hang out in and bring my friends to. So maybe someday we'll smoke together in Amsterdam or maybe we'll smoke in my own coffee shop in yeah. Maryland. But got to cool. change the laws a bunch before we can do that. Absolutely. You know, and I haven't been to Amsterdam in, in some years now. Uh, oh. You know, I don't know if you know this, but I met my wife in Amsterdam at the Cannabis Cup. We got engaged oh, huh? in Amsterdam at the Cannabis Cup. It's It's been a home away from home for me. I've been there more than I've been anywhere else, uh, you know, any other foreign country or right. city. Um, and, and my wife but, and I sure miss it, and we hope to go back soon. Uh, right, but but when the laws changed and we were able to start having them here, the, the event moved, and, and now you've lost your occasion to go, huh? huh. But, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you need to you need to plan another trip. Well, you'll be sad when you go to find that a lot of your favorite shops have closed in the last few years. But there's still plenty of beautiful coffee shops open, and and it's worth going. And I want to go again myself. Uh, as soon as this book actually gets published, I want to take a suitcase of them over to yeah. uh, to get people to uh, to basically. I want to walk around to get through coffee shops and give them a copy of the book and say, "Hey, check out this book I wrote and featured you in." Yeah. Well, so well, I, I did want to mention about the yep. book the. Um, we, we ran a Kickstarter for it uh, a couple months ago, but that that's now closed. But the book has not actually gone to the printer yet. It's just about to. So, and we're still trying to find out, how, figure out how many copies to print. But I wanted to say for any of you, the listeners who want to find out about it, that we have an emailing uh, an email announcement list we've set up at our website. So you can put your email uh, address on our list, and we'll notify you when the book is done. And to find out about that, you can go to fullybakedideas.com. Which is our imprint company that uh, that that owned by Looney Labs, but uh, you know it's how we publish our adult items. And so, fullybakedideas.com will have a a sign up sheet for anyone interested in the book. 
Okay, great. And if people want to check out the games, Stone of Flux, they can go to looneylabs.com also, correct? Yep. Well, well, actually, Fully Baked Ideas would be where you would find the stoner versions of our games. Ah, so okay. you know, we have a kind of, of a wall of separation we've created between our family-friendly mainstream stuff at Looney Labs and our uh, adult items, which we have at FullyBakedIdeas.com. Okay, cool. Well, we'll put links to all, all that on our Facebook page as well for, for the Blazing Facebook page so people can find it real easily. Great. Um, great. Well, thanks uh, for talking to us so much, Andrew. It's been a pleasure. And oh, uh, pleasure. I, do ho- I do hope we get to have that smoke together. It would be great. <laughs> I look forward to that day. All right. Take care. And uh, best right. regards to your wife, Kristen. I will pass that along. And thanks for having me on the show. All right, guys. Well, it looks like we're just about out of time here on Blazin'. Before we go, I have a special announcement to make. Uh, next month, July, will be officially Hash Month here on Blazin'. Uh, to celebrate 710, we will have on a different guest each week who is a well-known hash expert or hash maker to discuss all the different facets of hash and uh, how to smoke it, how to make it, and all that good stuff. So please be sure to join us uh, every week next month for our special Hash Month Hash Month promotion here on Blazin'. And that's going to wrap it up for this week's episode. Uh, as always, there will be links to all the stuff we talked about today on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Black. While you're there, please uh, give us a like, leave us some feedback, uh, and also be sure to follow me on social media, Twitter at Bobby Black, Facebook and Instagram at Bobby Black 420. Also, I should mention we have some Blazing t-shirts available, which you can also buy on the Facebook page. So if you're interested, please check that out. And that's about it uh, for this week. Thanks, as always, for tuning in and talking up with us. Uh, until next week, this is Bobby Black saying blaze on and peace off. The opinions expressed on this CannabisRadio.com program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of CannabisRadio.com. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without proper consent of CannabisRadio.com is prohibited.